Audio Drama Insiders, the podcast giving you the lowdown on the most prolific and talented creators in the industry. And now, here are your hosts, Craig Hart and Trisha Rose. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Audio Drama Insiders. My name is Craig Hart, and I'm here with my trusty co-host, Trisha Rose. Trisha, it's been a while. How are you? In this moment, I'm doing really good. How about you? Not bad. It it appears, anyway, that you have gotten through the Thanksgiving holiday somewhat unscathed. (laughs) Well, you know, there's... Or is that hasty? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I ate a little bit too much. Did my cheat day on Thursday, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I had a a treat, uh, a cheat week, I think. Oh, okay. Took the opportunity. So yeah, you give me an inch, I take a mile when it comes to overeating, (laughs) I'm afraid. Well, we're just glad nobody can see us, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Neck up, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, it's great to be back. We have... Darby Kern with us. It's exciting to have him back. Darby is the writer of many audio dramas, director of many audio dramas, and I'm looking forward to learning what sort of wisdom we can glean from the keen mind of Darby. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. I hope I have wisdom for you. Yes. <laughs> so, we'll see. If not, you don't get paid. Okay. That's no, way. I forgot to mention that this is a free free job anyway, but, but I thought... All right, well, hey, have a great day. Let's end the prayer. I would like to know, however, what is the first audio drama you wrote and how did you get started in that? The first one I wrote professionally? Sure. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, was Left Behind the Kids. Um, I had uh, discovered that uh, they were making Left Behind audio dramas by walking into the local um, store here in town and saw it sitting on the shelf. And I thought, oh man, somebody's still doing audio dramas. This is awesome. And uh, and I looked on the back and it said Gap Digital and it had had an email there too. So um, I I sent sent them an email just kind of out of the blue. Said, hey, you're doing exactly what I would love to be doing. Uh, love audio drama. Been a fan for years and uh, and I do some writing and uh, uh, I'm I'm really excited about what you're doing. How does the fella get uh, get a job? And uh, I was really surprised. Uh, Todd Bustied, who produced and directed those, emailed me back probably within a week actually, which really surprised me because nobody ever gets back to you fast. But he emailed me back and he said, if you're serious about this, he says, I have an audition for you. He's, he said, uh, go out and get the book At Home in Mitford by Jane Karen. And uh, and he said, write, write me a, a sample script of that. Make it as long as you want, as many characters as you want, all this stuff. So I went out and uh, I had the book within an hour of reading the email and uh, started reading it. <coughs> and just at first, I love the book. I mean, it's, it's her writing is amazing. She's got great dialogue too, great characters. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, oh man, this is... It's already on the page here, so I don't even have to work that hard. But uh, what I found was that I had to really uh, tell the story in a way that was um, uh, workable for audio drama. And I sent him two episodes, probably within about a week and a half. And uh, each one was like a half hour long show. And uh, followed the book, probably a little too slavishly. And uh, but he liked it. He liked he liked my writing. He liked what I was uh, the pictures I was making uh, with with the words. And uh, it was probably a couple years later. I kept bugging him <laughs> frequently. <laughs> and uh, he'll say it was probably every other day I was emailing saying, hey, give me a job. Uh, it wasn't quite that bad. But um, he sent me an email one day and he said, uh, hey, do you think you can you can write for a, a younger audience? And uh, of course, you never say no. So so I said, oh, yeah, sure. What are you looking for? And uh, he, he asked me to write a sample. 
example for the kids left behind. And uh, so I had to run out and go get that book too. And uh, uh, wrote him a, I think two two scripts. Jerry Jenkins had to approve them, and uh, and he did. The second episode though, this he hasn't mentioned this in a couple of years now, and I'm really grateful for that. Maybe he's forgotten. But the second episode, I think, had 65 characters in it. <laughs> 65 named characters, oh, which no. was a bit excessive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he had to rein me in quite a bit on that show. But uh, I, I started doing that, did 72 episodes for him. And I still say it's one of the best jobs I ever had. Todd was, uh, he, he's fantastic because he he's it's in his DNA to teach. And hmm. he taught me so much. He probably taught me everything that I know about writing audio drama. So, so that was the did, first job. Did you ever find out why he chose that initial book for you? Is there something about that book that makes for a good audio drama? Or was there something he was looking for from you? Well, th- th- there are stories all around um, that have, have come back to me and, and some I've tried to check on and, and found they weren't quite true. But he's, <laughs> he, he said that uh, Focus on the Family Radio Theater wanted to do a drama of At Home in Mitford. And uh, at the time, um, Jan Karen hadn't approved of it because she wasn't sure that um, it's it's what she wanted to do with her books, which are for good reason much beloved. And she didn't want to, you know, just uh, uh, trivialize them or, or have somebody hack them to pieces. But um, Focus eventually did the show. Paul McCusker wrote it and directed it. And it's fantastic. Dean Jones is is the main character and some other actors that you recognize. And, and um, it's, I mean, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant show. I mean, I can't compete with Paul McCusker. I just, you know, I just can't. But uh, um, I think at one time years ago on Facebook, I, I sent him a message and asked him if he knew anything about this. And he he knew nothing about, you know, my involvement or any scripts ever written before, during, or after he wrote his. But uh, I, I grudgingly have to admit his was much better, um, moved better, told the story in a, in a kinder, gentler way. Well, and it was more appropriate. So I have to say, I'm a big fan of the Left Behind Kids audio drama. I grew up on that. And um, my my sister is probably, I'm going to embarrass my sister. Um, she was, she, she read all of the books cover to cover. She knew everything, all the details, and she listened to your audio drama many, 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 many times. And like, oh, wow. she, she, she knew all the details. She knew all the characters, all the actors played the characters. And then like, she's like, but the one thing she could not forgive you was um, the doctor's name. Was, Just the one? Well, the doctor's name was Gregory Peck, and that was not his name in the book. <laughs> how? You know what? I don't even have a story for how that came around, except I'm a big Gregory Peck fan. Um, I'm sure it was it an could, Easter egg, egg right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could be that. Well, I had an opportunity. Gregory Peck came to uh, to Green Bay, where I live, and they had an evening of with Gregory Peck at a theater cool. here. And uh, I got to go to it, and there was a question and answer, and I got to I got to speak to Gregory Peck, Ooh. and he answered me. So maybe I was just on a big Gregory Peck high at that moment. But uh, it's so funny because I always wonder the people who read those books, and there's I want to say seventy two of them. No, there's there's mm, I don't remember. Um, anyway, at the beginning of the series, when there was more of a budget, we were doing um, how many episodes per book? I think it was three episodes per book, and we did that. For for the first half or the first 36. So after 36 episodes, we had uh, covered the first 12 books. And then the rest of the series, which was 36 episodes, we had to cover, I think, 32.
two books. So it, it got to the point where we were doing an entire book in an episode. Oh, wow. And you can imagine how much we had to cut out <laughs> and characters and storylines and everything. And it was almost a, okay, refer to the adult series <laughs> for <laughs> what's going on here. But it was so much fun. And, and Todd really, he trusted me and uh, and he he uh, rewrote me when he needed to. But uh, we, we had so much fun. And it was the weirdest thing because if you listen to that series and then you listen to, I'm doing the air quote thing, the adult series, um, we killed so many more people than they did. <laughs> oh, dear. It was just crazy. I mean, it was... I Dropping like flies. I know it was, but we had a lot of fun, and there's a, a ton of Easter eggs in that whole series. There's there's jokes that I put in that uh, you know would slip past Todd. A lot of Star Wars and Star Trek references <laughs> and jokes and stuff <laughs> that he would never have picked up on because he's not a fan. And that's okay. But then when I'd listen to him, I'd hear things like uh, um, your guys' uh, telephone uh, uh, ringtone was the Indiana Jones theme. <laughs> and, I was like, wait a minute, where'd that come from? That's awesome. You know, just, just little things like that. And we had so much fun doing it. And that cast was uh, all young people, almost all young people, but they were fantastic. Just, I mean, amazing cast. They had great amazing chemistry. Cast. And Dugan Sherbani, who played, um, uh, oh boy, I can't believe I'm, I'm completely forgetting his name right now. Uh, well, anyway, he later on, I hired him to play Jake Muller, and he was brilliant as Jake Muller. So he only went to 36 episodes. I think we got him into 37. We bled him into 37 episodes before he died and uh and then i thought oh and we tried to find a way to keep him alive but it was just impossible so had to go because dugan go. is such a great guy and uh and he's a great actor so so when i had this chance to get him for jake muller i jumped at it <laughs> and he was brilliant bring him back to life again <laughs> okay all right i would work with dugan in a second anytime he's he's just a wonderful guy well when you're talking about you're, you know for example having to put an entire book and do a single episode, or even just more broadly adapting a book for audio drama, how do you decide what to keep and what has to go or can go, needs to go? How do well, you, how do you uh, distill something down to the essence of the story? Yeah. For, I mean, the first thing you got to do is become really familiar with the, the story. And then, and when I say the story, not just, you know, the characters and everything, but what happens and what's important. And uh, pretty much everything that isn't narrative has to go. Um, and you have to, you have to find a, a clever way to, um, you know, if, if there's a picture that the listener needs to see, you have to find a way to make that happen in uh, dialogue or as as clear a sound effect as you can. And when you're working with someone like Todd, you know, the, you can you can write anything for a sound effect and, you know, this guy's going to come up with it. <laughs> um, but there was one, one scene, and I don't remember which series this was, maybe like the fourth or the fifth one, where they were being chased by, an air, they were driving in a car and an airplane was flying over with some GC pilots trying to catch him or kill him or whatever. And we actually, and this is this is something I don't recommend ever, but we we would cut between um, uh, the car and the um, and the airplanes. You know, so the pilots were saying stuff and they're reacting to it on the ground as bombs and stuff are blowing up. And you're just like, well, come on, you know. It's, I mean, it was very cinematic in terms. Yeah. And when when I wrote it, I just thought, oh man, he's gonna he's gonna change this completely. But not only did he not change it very much, he he found a way to make it very clear that um you know we were talking between between the two locations and i remember when i this is funny because it was going back and forth almost in cinematic terms and um i remember listening to the star wars radio show when i was a teenager and if you haven't heard it and you're a star wars fan find it and check it out because it's very well done but there was um 
a an entire episode that told Princess Leia's story from the time she gets captured by Darth Vader all the way through uh, like her planet being blown up, and it's completely set aside without without any of the other stuff going on or like intercut with it. And I thought, wow, that's that's a good way to tell you know that story without um, you know all the other stuff <laughs> intruding on it. And then I did the exact opposite and left behind <laughs> and and just trusted Todd to make it work because I knew he could do it. So yeah, you know, where do I, you... that's a big part of it, <laughs> knowing and trusting people. Where do you get your inspiration for uh, different stories? It, it hmm. Every, everyone's different. I'll say that. Um, sometimes the inspiration is uh, sitting at the dining room table and looking at my family uh, eating and seeing that they like eating and I have to do something to make some money. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, they come from all over. Craig and I have worked on a couple things. Um, and uh, like the Titanic Wave was just a uh, just a two page part of a book about the Titanic that I read that I thought was a, a really powerful story that, you know, they covered so quickly in two or three pages. And uh, I thought there's a there's a great story there. And I told the story to a friend of mine um, and she said, oh, you, you need to make that movie. And I said, well, nobody can make a movie about the Titanic ever again. It's, just, <laughs> it's been done in such a big way in such a such a um, you know, almost complete way that anything else is just going to look derivative of that. But doing it as an audio drama made perfect sense because there, I hadn't heard anything like that before. So I wrote that that way. Um, you know, Craig and I are, are dancing around a story called Pendragon, um, which is about King Arthur. And that just completely comes out of my my love of Arthurian legend. Um, Jake Muller is, uh, Jake Muller started with just a, a image of a guy running across a, a, a frozen lake carrying his hunting rifle with the blizzard going on all around him. And then I just started asking questions. What, what's he doing out there? Okay, what has to happen to him? What, you know, what kind of uh, press are we going to put this guy in? You know, and I don't know if what it was, but something something about aliens popped into my head or maybe it was a, a, a book I read about uh, um, aliens from a Christian point of view and I thought okay alright there's there's an interesting story there and uh, you know then you, you think like X-Files where everything is a big conspiracy so I have this greater Jake Muller story that man I hope I get to it someday but uh, it's um, it's it's pretty big and pretty sprawling and we've only been able to make the one story so far but who knows yeah, maybe we'll find a, a you know a rich investor who <laughs> is, is okay not, not making any money on something. So. Uh, I don't know if that's the sales pitch we want to run no, with. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll have to refine it. <laughs> but you're talking about putting your characters into tough situations. I saw a meme that the main character says, this is the worst day of my life. And the author says, worst day of your life so far. So, far. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. But talking about ideas, like how do you, you know, you can get tons of ideas. Ideas come all the time. But how do you know what's a good idea? Sometimes you just have to let it sit for a while. In fact, I, I don't, if I get an idea, I might write the idea down, the, like in a sentence or two, and uh, just kind of wait and see how I, how I feel or think about it later on. And if a month later, I read it and think, yeah, that could still work. You know, then I might try and put a little bit of meat on the bone. And, uh, you know, six months later, if, if the idea still is uh, is holding up, I will actually sit down and if I have time, sit down and try to write something about it. I can't do anything right away because most most ideas are <laughs> most ideas are just rubbish. And, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and that's the thing. Everybody has ideas. And, and like you said, they're not all good ideas. But um, to, to know that it's a good idea, it's got to it's got to go through a crucible or two. And sometimes time is enough to do that. 
that um, the best way that I found is to uh, get a couple of friends you can trust and just say, you know, hey, I have this idea and this is what happens in it, blah, blah, blah. And if, and if you know, right off the bat, if you give them a, a, you know, an elevator pitch and they say, oh, that sounds pretty good. It might be good. Um, <laughs> if you, if, if they say, wow, that, see this, I want to hear about and I want to know a bit more about this, then yeah, it's, it's looking a little better, but um, you know, it's funny because I have friends who don't cut me any slack at all. So <laughs> if I give them an idea, they won't hesitate to say, man, you have some bad roast beef that day. What's going on here? <laughs> So if they point and laugh, not a good sign. (laughs) Or if they just shake their head and walk away, that's fairly definitive. Leaving uh, you with the bar tab. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Wait a minute. You were drinking Chivas. Forget it. But uh, yeah, um, you know, you you need to have a sounding board that you trust. Um, uh, You know, some ideas shouldn't last. And, you know, I think Craig, you and I probably talked about this a little bit. There's so many, so many uh, audio dramas that we, we hear that, uh, you know, whether we say it out loud, we think, boy, they really need some friends to tell them. This is not where you want to put your energy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I joke with my wife sometimes if we're if we're out, if we happen to be at Walmart or some similar place and see somebody who is socially awkward, let's put it that way. And you think, boy, they just don't have any friends to tell them that they really shouldn't go outside dressed like that. You know, And that's kind of a cruel way to say it. But you know what I'm talking about. Tough I, yeah. love. I think, I hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, I have two teenage daughters and sometimes I have to look at them and say, mm, think about this a little longer. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you can show that tough love to yourself. Like, you got to let that idea go, and that which can be tough sometimes if you've put in a lot of time into it. I, I, there's some sort of theory that explains this, but it's like I, I've worked on it so far, so hard already. I might as well just finish it. Well, sometimes <laughs> no. Sometimes you cut your losses and and release it and let it go. Yeah, you, and you have to. <laughs> Um, I just, I think about writers that I like, you know, and there's a lot of television writers I like. And, uh, you know, you, you, you might like one thing they did, something really good. Maybe Star Wars is the example of this. Because we look at the, you know, the first trilogy they made and think, oh, that was, those are so good. It was formative and it was, it changed the industry and everything. And then George Lucas came back, same guy writing it. And like, everybody remembers that prequel trilogy as, as being junk. You're like, well, wait a minute. You know, it's the same guy, <laughs> you know, it's the same guy that made episode four that you loved so much. He made these two also. So I don't know. Not everybody hits a diamond with their, yeah. you know, every swing. But well, you mentioned both television writing, and then also earlier mentioned creating pictures in terms of audio drama. What are mm-hmm. some of the challenges, or between you know, creating that theater of the mind as opposed to say writing for television? I, well, I haven't written for television. I haven't. I should say I haven't sold anything. I've written a couple of things that I, I always dreamed I would sell, but um, I don't think it's ever going to happen. That's okay. But uh, I think with audio drama, the mistake that we make is um, making it too too far away from cinema or or television. Um, you know, the, the example is always, uh, and this actually was a show on the BBC, this gun in my left hand is loaded. Um, <laughs> right. And it's that kind of dialogue. You know, you don't, you don't need to do too much of that. We're at a point right now where uh, you can, you can add Foley and sound effects and create a picture that way. And you can, uh, use too much dialogue and uh, just create a lame picture. And, you know, there's there's an example of this in that Star Wars episode that I was telling you about, you know, where uh, you know, Princess Leia is in the Death Star 
and you know she I think she says something you know get your hand off my arm and uh, you know you're, it's it's just one step too far you know you can she can say hey get your hands off me and it, it actually makes more sense it's more the way people talk but I th- and I think that's that's kind of a, a valid thing um, some people have said some complimentary things about my dialogue and if if I am good at dialogue it's because when I was in college there were times that I would just sit in the middle of a food court at a mall near an escalator where people were coming up and I would just I, I would eavesdrop I'd listen to the people and the conversations they're having and every type of person from every socioeconomic level walking past me having a conversation with somebody having an argument with somebody um, you know having a, a, a beautiful loving conversation with somebody and I listen to the way people talk and I try to capture rhythms and uh, uh, how they say things and <clears throat> it, um, it it every, everybody has a different voice but we're all able to capture uh, meaning and rhythms in the way we use that voice. Another example of that, that that I can think of is I was writing for Kids Corner and I put a parenthetical in by one of the um, lines of dialogue. It said smiles. So the character is smiling when they say it. And uh, Phil Aller, who is also a, a great and tough teacher, um, sent a note back that said, how, how are we going to know? And I, I, when I responded to him, I said, say that line smiling and say it not smiling mm-hmm. and you'll be able to hear the difference or yep. better yet, have somebody else say the line like that. You can hear a smile. Yeah. You absolutely can. Um, you can hear a snarl. You can hear brows furrowed if, if your actor is capable of doing it. So, I mean, there's so so many things that we just take for granted and we think we have to save everything with dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's another Todd Bastidism, you know. He, he said dialogue is not the most important thing in an audio drama. And uh, of course, I, you know, was offended when he said it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's right, you know, and it's, I don't think he's saying that, you know, Foley is more important or sound effects are more important or music is more important, but it's how all of them come together. And, uh, and it's, and it's just one part of this, this whole picture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think in cinema, you have all that stuff and then you have to have a perfect frame mm-hmm. and, uh, it's, it's a little bit harder. You know, audio drama can be more forgiving, but at the same time, you have to be aware of it. You have to have a director and an actor aware of it. Talking about directing, how much direction do you write into your script? You said the thing about smiling, but do you, do you give direction in lines to actors or do you try to bring that out in these recording sessions themselves? Well, I try to put as much into the script as I can, mainly because there's never any guarantee that I'm going to be directing the show. Mm. And um, I, I try to make it as as foolproof as I can. And sometimes, yeah, I do use uh, maybe a few more parentheticals than than some people do. Um, but even punctuation is, uh, is important. And I think that a lot of sentences don't deserve or need a period at the end. Sometimes I do a lot of dot, dot, dots because when people talk, they just kind of trail off sometimes. <laughs> you know? And to me, it's it's uh, it's all about the truth of the moment and of the scene and of the character. And if somebody does that a lot, well, that's, that's how their dialogue is going to go. Um, with something like the Titanic way, if we were talking about a different period of time where people weren't quite as lazy in the way they spoke. So there were more periods in that one and commas too, if you were to go back and count, but um, I, I try to I try to get as much of the character into the script as I can, while still leaving room for the actors to discover. Uh, but at that point in the writing 
standpoint, my, um, I guess my service is to the story. Hmm. And later on, uh, when it's cast, that might be my job. That might be somebody else's job. And uh, and I can, we can make changes then. I mean, it's the beauty of the whole process, you know, like any artistic endeavor like this, whether it's video or audio, a director's going to change things. An actor's going to change things. Um, you know, they're, they're going to bring their own, uh, uh, you know, nuances to it. Rich Swingle brought a few things to Titanic with that. I just <laughs> thought, I never could, I never in a million years would have come up with that. That's brilliant. <laughs> Great job. So, so you got to get throwing in Scottish words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know what's funny? I what was I just? I think I was just watching something about Braveheart, and uh, and they're talking. One of the actors was talking about how they were filming in this really cold weather, and I don't remember the the exact word that Rich used, but this guy used it. A Scottish actor used it, and I thought. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. I guess you sort of touched on this a little bit, but what do you think is the primary goal of a director? I think a director is the person who needs to uh, be paying attention to to every facet of it and make sure that it's all going to mix together. They're responsible for how the story is told, which is one reason why it's not always good to be a writer-director, because a writer-director is going to be really Mm. single-minded about things and and not always look for um, different ways to do things. But uh, a director needs to uh, have answers for the actors and for the post-production people and for the the uh, um, composers and you know they, they have to basically see or hear the entire project in their head and then get that onto the the finished work. Hmm. And it's what I found is it is mostly answering questions and um, and sometimes an actor will come with an idea and you have to ask yourself, okay, is that idea brilliant or is it really really bad? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's another place where a writer is going to get their you know their ego is going to get in the way. Right. But you know you, you have to you have to be able to say okay um, that's a bad choice. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, somebody was telling me it may have, maybe have been you, maybe been somebody else that if when an actor comes say in an audio drama to the director and they have an idea and their director says okay let's try it that way but with no intention of ever using it but it's just a way to get yeah. past <laughs> the well, situation. Yeah. It, it is a way to not have a, a long argument about it. That may have been me who said that. Um, but, you know, I, I like to do it because I come from an improvisational background. Yeah. So to hear, and I, and I want my actors to to be invested mm-hmm. and to really have some ownership in whatever we're working on. So, you know, listen to the idea, let them run with it and give it a try. If it doesn't work, you just, you know, maybe in post you say, okay, that didn't really work. I think the director is responsible for the entire artistic expression. So they need need to, you know, wrangle all those things. And uh, some projects get away from people. Uh, it mm. happens that way. Sometimes your composer has a completely different idea. And because I don't write music, I don't know how to articulate something like, oh, that was not what we're looking for, other than saying it like that. Um, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't be able to tell them exactly what we are looking for. Right. Except in, in vague terms, like, you know, okay, you remember in the movie Heat when, uh, <laughs> you know, they use the, mo- you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, Which can be frustrating um, to the person you're working with if you say that's not right, but you can't tell them what would be they're like well yeah this was my best shot <laughs> yeah like I, I i worked with uh jared de pasquale on on um jake muller and i i think he he provided a dynamite soundtrack for it. i love what he did um there were a couple pieces though that that you know i i had some ideas but couldn't articulate it and he took what i what i was able to say and turned it into something so much better hmm. and uh and and that worked out really well um i worked with some other composers who were not as uh, uh well versed as he was who 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 did okay 
work, but um, didn't hit it out of the ballpark, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, those are projects that no one's going to hear. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> think they got out of my uh, my four-track recorder even. <laughs> so <laughs> give you an idea how long ago that was. But <laughs> We're talking about getting, you know, making sure your actors are invested in the project. How do you know as a director when you've gotten all you're going to get from a certain actor? Um, sometimes you can't know that, but I think you have to trust your gut with a few things. And you have to, you know, when, when you're in the studio, it's easier because they're, you're in the control room and they're in another room and you can look at your engineer and say, is that the best we're going to get from them? Do you think we should just kind of, you know, cut bait and move on here? And, and, uh, and hopefully they're, you know, they've been paying attention so they can say, yeah, that's, that's as good as you're going to get, or they know the actor or whatever, but sometimes you can't know. And, uh, um, you know, you can push your actors too far or you can push them into to something great. You know, another great example of this is another story when they're filming, um, Star Trek two. Okay. Star Trek guy. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, Nicholas Meyer was directing it and he's working with William Shatner. And there's a scene where, where this is the wrath of Khan. So Khan played by Ricardo Montalban has, has stopped the enterprise and given him 60 seconds to, to send him some information <clears throat> or he's going to destroy them completely. And so they come up with a plan to, to stop Khan from doing this in the 60 seconds. And at the end of it, uh, Khan says, all right, time's up. And, and Captain Kirk has a line, which is here it comes. And he says Shatner kept doing it like, here it comes. And he'd stop him and say, hang on a second. If you do it like this, this guy who's a super genius over here, he's going to know you're, you're totally you know telegraphing that you were going to do something other than send him the information. How about we try something else? And he, he says Shatner just wouldn't, wouldn't. <laughs> change it much so they kept going and every take um you know and he set this up with his dp i think too so you know they'd get to this this line and shatner would start doing it big and, and the dp or, or the director would say hang on hang on a second lighting's wrong or hang on sound isn't isn't working and he said they they did this so many times that finally he said they wore shatner out and he was just bored and in the movie you get the take where he says okay here it comes you know and it was exactly what he was trying to get to in the first place and you know these are these are little psychological tricks that you have to play i mean directors have to have to know who they're working with and be able to manipulate you know i mean that that sounds manipulative and it is but i mean i don't mean it in a bad way (laughs) it they need to know how to get the actor to the reality that they need to have and uh you know you think they probably worked an hour on getting this one line from shatner and (laughs) and, uh was that time better served somewhere else Ah, who knows but it's a great moment in the movie, so yeah. Oh shucks! It now, worked. now I'll know when I'm being manipulated. <laughs> <laughs> but will Here's you? The truth. <laughs> Here's the truth: you're always being manipulated. <laughs> Okay, so wearer of many hats. Um, what are some lesser-known projects that you've worked on, whether being a writer, writer, producer, director, actor? I've heard you in some things. Um, what are some lesser-known projects that fans might not know about and could look up and check into? Okay, uh, there's one that was just released about a week ago called The Innkeeper's Son. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't have a link or anything to it, um, but uh, uh, some friends from 
Audio Theater Central um, uh, were involved in that. And they got a hold of me, and I just recorded these lines as uh, the innkeeper, actually. Um, uh, so the innkeeper's son's father, uh, and that was a lot of fun. I haven't listened to it yet, but I've I've heard back from some people that they said it was uh, quite good. So I'm I'm looking forward to that, and it's all about this holiday season we're in right now. So that's one that I'm interested in. Um, one that I'm super, super proud of that uh, my name is not really associated with is uh, the Brinkman Adventures did, uh, uh, gosh, I should, the, the name is completely, it's the William Bradford story um, about the Pilgrims. And they did uh, th- 13 episodes. And uh, I'm credited, I think, in the printed copy as a creative consultant, but I, I helped polish up some lines on that. And I'm really bummed out that I didn't get to the store or to the studio to actually record any voices for it because I was hoping to do that. And uh, Ian Boltman, who produces it and, and uh, created the show and everything, great friend of mine, super guy, super guy. And he only lives an hour and a half away from me. So it was on me and I, I dropped the ball to get down there. But I'm really, really proud of that. It's called Freedom, the William Bradford story. And uh, it is it is dynamite. I mean, really some of the best audio drama that um, I think is out there. Uh, of course, the Titanic Wave that uh, Craig produced uh, and did great work on. It's one I'm really proud of. Um, uh, the pilot for The Watch, which is all we have right now, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of. And we're hoping that that will wake up again soon. Um, I did probably... 30 episodes of a show called Kids Corner um, about 20 years ago, uh, which was from uh, Back to God, the, um, the broadcast wing of the Reformed Church did that. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I worked with Phil Lawler quite a bit on that. But I met people like Amy Lilly, who uh, just a, uh, she, she was Hattie in Left Behind dramas, but she plays a uh, 10-year-old lizard boy <laughs> named Liz. And um, she, she's just one of the sweetest, kindest people you'll ever meet. And she's she's great in the, in the Titanic way as well, too. Um, one of those people that I just want to bring into every project I ever do. Uh, so there's about 30 of those that I did. Um, boy, now I'm on the spot. The G.A. Henty stuff. Uh, I, I've done two produced shows. And uh, right now, while they're trying to get everything back on even footing, the pandemic and, and some other financial stuff really, really hit them pretty hard. Uh, but they have a script of mine for a G.A. Henty book called One of the 28, A Tale of Waterloo. And uh, my personal opinion, it could be the best thing I've ever written. And uh, it, it just, you know, for financial reasons, hasn't been produced yet. But boy, if it ever gets produced, I'm going to be so excited to hear that. Um, super, super excited. Uh, Pendragon, which we mentioned before, is another one that I'm, I'm anxious to hear some actors, you know, bite down on that one um, and praying that happens. Right now, I, I just started working for uh, Unshackled, the show Unshackled. Been around for 70 years. They finally called me up. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm working on my my second script for them right now uh and that's fun good people really good people <sighs> boy see i mean i have so many scripts that i've written that haven't been produced that i think oh man this would be great this would be great let's do this <laughs> but uh but there's a financial uh you know outlay too that you know, can't be overlooked i mean yeah. can i sit in the in the basement and record five voices myself and make it sound like we're all talking to each other and yeah i can do that but you know let's it, there's no point in doing it if we're not going to do it at a higher level and uh that's where people like todd and craig and and uh you know, Bill Hyde and, and uh, uh, Ian, you know, it's it's what, you know, they're, they're doing it at that level. 
level. So it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, things have slowed down a little bit in the last year for me, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. I was maybe counting on it too much. So I don't know. I just love doing it. Can't wait to get back to doing it uh, a lot more, getting back to some projects with my friends that uh, that we'll have some fun doing. And hopefully that'll happen real soon. Sounds so exciting. I can't wait to hear that. (laughs) Can't wait to hear more of your stuff come out. Well, there we thank so much for joining us here on Audio Dramas Insiders. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, Tricia, for co-hosting. It's been great to get back into this. And hopefully, as Darby said, hopefully the audio drama momentum will pick up and we can all get back to work doing more of it. That would be great. It has been. That's one of the cool things that's that's happening right now. It is. And and when you're doing standout stuff, you're going to get noticed. It's going to happen. So, Absolutely. So keep it up. Is my- yeah. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Thank you.